Good morning again. I, uh, like many of you, grew up in the church. I uh, think I teethed on the back of the pew at Clearing Bible Church on uh, 63rd and Cicero in Chicago. I, I, my mom dragged me there from the earliest, my earliest memories, church memories. Uh, I grew up hearing, it was a good church, well, the churches my folks brought me to were great churches. Uh, very familiar with, with, the, with the gospel. Heard that from earliest years. It was the, 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 the wonderful story that there was a God, that, that he loved me, wanted a relationship with me, but my sin got in the way. And so Jesus came. He sent Jesus to die on a cross with my name on it for my sin. Uh, he took the punishment. He then rose from the dead, demonstrating God's payment for uh, my sin, Christ's death being sufficient, and that if, in fact, I surrendered, I confessed, I repented of my sin, which basically is saying the same thing about my sin that he said. Uh, I'm not going that way anymore. That's my life outside of him, but I'm following him now. And if I did this, I would be new. I would be born again. My sins would be forgiven in total. I would be a new creature. I'd be sealed and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I would be, uh, be a new heart and a new start, a new father and a new identity. It'd be a new day. I'd be on my way to heaven. Now, I thought as a kid that, see, the whole idea of life is figuring this out. And I had it figured out by eight. I thought, man, <laughs> some guys aren't going to figure this out to year. I'm way ahead of the curve here. So my plan was, I was just going to coast. Uh, what else do you do? Man, I was going to enjoy the ride until I got to heaven, because that's all life was about. And then someone shared with me verses like this. I said, therefore, we're always confident. We know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And I thought, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought all my sins were covered. And when you check out scripture, yes, they all are. This is a judgment for believers. Once we're in heaven, our position in heaven is secure. We won't lose that, but we still will stand before a judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 sheds a little more light on it. When it says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, that they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For co-workers in God's service... You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should, should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it has been burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. If you know Christ, there will be a day where you will, your name will be called. You will come before the judgment seat, that's the bema seat of Christ, to give an account what was done in your body, good or bad. Well, this was kind of news to me. I thought, oh man, what's this about? Now, if in fact you get into a class, remember your, your college days or maybe you're in it now, high school days, what do you want to know when you get into this class? You want to know, 
the final. What's going to be on it? What do, I, what do I need to know in order to pass this class? There's a judgment coming, the final exam, and what do I have to be prepared for in order to, to make it? And so we need to know when we stand before Christ, what do we need to have studied? What do we, where do we need to be? And you need to know what you won't be judged on. Primarily, you will not be judged on your sincerity, your motivation. Now, sincerity is good, right? It beats insincerity. That's part of the package. But you're not going to be judged primarily, purely, simply on, well, I, I meant well. No, that's, that's, that's not going to work. You're not going to be judged based on uh, your ability or your, the times you listen to your conscience. Now, conscience is not infallible, but it is never to be disobeyed. But you will not be judged purely, simply, primarily on the times you listened to your conscience. You will not be judged simply, purely, primarily on whether or not you were a kind person, you were good to people. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But that alone is not why, how you're going to be judged. So what will, you be, will your judgment be based on? Isaiah 55. God lets us know what, what the problem is. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see the problem? God has got his values and his understanding and the way he sees life, and, and we've got ours, and they're not the same. And we think we understand, we think we discern, we think we know which way we're going, but it's so different from the way God, God's got it planned. And we keep living this. What we need to do is we have to get on God's page. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, this is how we're going to do that. This is, this is really what you're going to be judged on at the judgment seat. Not just how much head, head of it you got, how much head knowledge you're holding on to, but to the extent that your life has, has grasped God's thoughts. Because here's the deal. If we understand God's thoughts, we will live God's ways. Now, let me give you an illustration. This is Newman. Newman. New man. New man. Now, this kid came to know Christ. He, he wants to live for that day. New man. Now, this is New Man's Bible. Now, I know it doesn't really look like a Bible, but I've been noticing it's really not that different from mine. It's, it's, it's kind of similar. This is New Man's Bible. And so, New Man comes to church. And he listens to the sermon sometimes. And once in a while, he likes it even. And he stays awake and, and he's connected to the Bible. He says, yeah, that was good. I got, that's got it down. But he leaves. And then he almost hits someone in the parking lot. They cut him off. He kind of loses his sanctification. And, and before you know it, he gets home and the game is on. And, I, and he's forgetting what the whole thing was about that morning. He doesn't even know. Give himself half the week and he doesn't even know he's at church. Now, he's driving on his job, and he'll listen, maybe John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or Chuck Swindoll. And when he does, he's going, yeah, got it down. But as soon as the show's over, he turns on that, that ungodly crest, Chris Country Western channel, and suddenly, <laughs> bad way, he's forgotten all about it. He's, he's singing songs about stuff he ought not be singing songs. You know what I mean. And we're very, very separated. Now, now, Newman spends most of his life separated. He'll come to church, though, next week. Not a big deal. Problem is, Saturday Night Live was such a good thing going the night before. Or maybe he had a Doctor Who marathon or something. And so he comes, and you know what? He is pretty shot. And so he's kind of listening. Or maybe he was up real late. He's really shot. And he's hearing like every tenth word. And he's kind of connecting to God's word, sort of, kind of, a little bit. But again, 
Newman spends most of his life disconnected from God's word, and he's okay with that. And this is why he's okay with that, because he's not a pastor. Those guys get paid to study. And if he was paid to study too, he'd do it as well, but he's got a life to live. Plus, how important can this be? I mean, are we going to get a a Bible competency test before we get into heaven? Is Jesus going to be standing at the gate with a a test saying, okay, let's see, can you name the 12 tribes? Here's a map. Map out where they they really belong to. And give me the kings of Judah in order. And I want at least seven parables and their meaning down. And I want you to write out from memory Colossians 3. You know, we'd be in trouble. We'd all be in trouble, right? Well, no one knows that. I'm not in heaven based on how much of this I know. And besides, you know, you've got uh, virgins with oil. You've got a beast with seven heads. You've got food sacrifice idols and genealogies. And that's just the New Testament. I mean, it gets worse in the Old Testament. And so, you know what? The problem is Newman doesn't see the value of this. And so he's okay to just get his fix once in a while on Sunday. Uh, he doesn't understand the value. But now here's, here's the deal. When we stand before Jesus, the Bema seat, we're going to be judged based on this. And so what I've, I've been walking for 43 years with the Lord, on and off and on, off and on and off again. Um, I've been reading and studying and memorizing over those years. But even after 43 years, stuff sneaking in the back door and things coming around to try to, to lure me away from God's word. And so once in a while, I need to be reminded, I need to be reminded of the incredible superiorness of, of the Bible, of the inexorable greatness of the Bible, of my incredible need for the Bible. And so what we want to do this morning in preparation for that day when we stand before Christ, we want to look at the value of being connected just, just a little bit of that to, to the Word of God. So if you'll turn with me to, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Incredible, 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 incredible chapter. And this, is what, this is what C.S. Lewis says about Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis says, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the Psalter. This was C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm. And one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Psalm, psalm 19. Uh, as we look at Psalm 19, we'll see, see some of the benefits. But I'm telling you, this is a great place if you want to study the Word of God to start, start here and, and go on even after this morning. One of the things we'll notice is being connected to the Word of God is the pathway to intimacy with God. When I first met Teresa, I remember that, that day very well. I'm not so sure Teresa does. But I, I remember when, when I story I'll tell you sometime, but I didn't go home and say, okay, I had my bucket list and meet Teresa was on it, and so I checked it, met her, good, I'm done, all right, fine, no, 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 after I met her, you know what, I wanted to be with her some more, and as I spent more time with her, I understood what she loves and what she hates and what she thinks and where she's been and where she's going and who she's about, and I fell deeper and deeper in love with her, the more time I spent with her, and what happens often as Christians is Meet Jesus, check, got it, taken care of, got my ticket punched, got my insurance policy filled out, I am on my way home, I'm just going to coast now between now and then. That's not the, as we spend more time with him, you know what happens? We learn what he loves, we learn what he hates, we learn who he is and where he's been and where he's going and what he's about and what his plans are. We fall deeper in love with him as we understand how deeply in love he is with us as we spend time with him. That is not at all an instantaneous zap you get when you come to know Christ. Uh, 
Intimacy is based on our connection. Just look, Psalm 19, verse 1. Let's start right in. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, these first six verses of Psalm 19 are what uh, theologians call the general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, how many times have you heard this kind of a testimony? Some guy's going through life, and uh, he's, he's arrived in a lot of ways, but he's feeling a little bit empty, and he goes outside, and he looks at the stars, and like, he realizes how small he is, and how he's just a blip on the screen, and, and there must be something more, and somebody must have created all of this. I want to know that person, or whatever it is. Or, or maybe here's someone, they're driving through northwest Pennsylvania in the fall, and they're looking at the beautiful uh, leaves changing, or they're seeing the fields of wildflowers, and each one, I mean, never planted, never fertilized, no one took care of them, but each flower is incredibly complex, and had to be designed. It couldn't just happen. I need to know this designer. Or guys, I can speak from a guy's point of view on this one, not from the ladies, sorry. But when the baby's born, oh man, oh man, when Lauren was born, uh, my, fir- my firstborn, I'm there, and, and she's, just, she's just born, she's still covered with slime, but her eyes are squinting up, kind of staring at mine. And guys, if, you were th- if you've seen that, don't you, your heart's kind of stopped, it's just flooded with emotion. This is incredible. This- You know, you know, you know, you know, there's something so much bigger than all of what life is about. There's God somewhere, you you know. But the first six verses of, of Psalm 19, in its context, tell us this. That heavens declare the vastness, the bigness of God, but nature in itself is not enough. It's not enough. Verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. You see, that the word God, that's the word for God there is Elohim. That is the generic name for God. That's God being big, God being vast. That's all that says is that there is a God somewhere. He's huge, he's big, he's majestic, he's glorious. Uh, but this is very limited because what nature can't tell you is this big something out there, it's huge. Is he personable or is it like a Star Wars force? Is it someone who cares for me? Does this whatever love me? Can I have a relationship with that? You can't pick that up out of nature. If you look at nature and you realize, you see God being loving and kind and personable, then you have, you're practicing selective hearing. You really are. Because what happens when you look at nature and you see tsunamis? Or you see earthquakes and tornadoes? And you see amoebas that are killing people. I mean, what does that tell you? All nature tells us how big God is. But that's all it can do. It does that, but that's all it can do. Now look at verse 7. This is, I think this is wild. Because it says, the law of the Lord. He's going to give us several, basically, synonyms for the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord 
trustworthy, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. Now, you see the Lord, uh, all caps. What that is, is because that's not the word Elohim. That's God's personal name. In in Exodus, when Moses is, is talking to God, and God says, go, and he says, and what's your name? They knew God is Elohim. And God says, my name is Yahweh, or Jehovah, or I am. It's my personal name. If somebody calls me, they catch me in the hall, the street, wherever else, telemarketer, how are you, Mr. Harris? Well, that's okay. That's a, a, there's no relationship there, right? It's, they're recognizing my existence. It's nice. Uh, but there's no relationship. That's kind of like verses 1 through 6. Mr. God. But verse 7, when it uses his personal name, that's like, that's like Mark. Someone uses the name Mark, there's friendship. Actually, the word, though, is probably closer to like a daddy. Now, is there a difference in relationship between someone who calls me daddy and someone who calls me Mr. Harris? Well, there's huge difference. And what this is letting us know is, is you can only know God as daddy, as committed to you, as loving and personable. You can only know that through the statutes, through the ordinances, through the precepts of his word. That's it. That's the only way you know that. Therefore, if you are connected to his word, you know what? You will understand him more and more as someone who loves you, someone who's committed to his person. You understand that. But if you don't, then you just understand him as Mr. God, the big guy upstairs. He's somebody. There's, there's no real relationship there. So staying connected to God's word is so significant. It's the only way we will find intimacy with God. George Mueller knew this. Listen, George Mueller, he writes, Now I would give you a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep up spiritual enjoyment. It is absolutely needful that we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, that means he didn't just read this stuff, he'd stop and say, how does this relate to me, God? How, How am I supposed to reflect this? I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about 100 times. So we're looking at two plus times a year for 47 years. And I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. Now, you know George Mueller. He started the the, uh, orphan uh, movement in the world, but centered in in England. By the time he was done, 10,000 street kids were ministered to by uh, George Mueller's uh, orphanages. If you've read his biographies, fascinating stuff. There were days, multiple times this happened, where the kids would be sitting down to eat. They wouldn't have anything in the house, and he would pray and give grace. <laughs> the kids are saying, for what? We don't have anything. He said, just, let's just pray. He would thank God for the food. As soon as he'd say amen, the milk wagon would have broke down in front of the orphanage saying, hey, listen, will you take this stuff because it's going to go bad in my wagon. And, uh, this happened over and over again. So much so that people say George Mueller had a gift of faith. As if somehow he was like zapped with this gift of faith. Maybe he did. 
But I would think twice before we separate his strong faith from the fact that he was constantly connected to the word of God, reading it through twice a year for 47 years. You think those two aren't related? It's amazing, a little-known fact about George Mueller is, is during his time, there was a, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor who felt impressioned by God to reach uh, the nation of China with the gospel. Now, up to this point, China had, had several missionary outposts right on the coast, but nothing on the interior. And so Hudson Taylor said, no, I'm going in. And so he, he went through, led a, a major army of missionaries into what has become known as the China Inland Mission, evangelized China. Then when Mao Zedong came around, they, they killed or drove out all the missionaries. The Westerners thought, well, it's the end of the church in China. And several years ago, when the, the, the um, curtain opened and we were able to look into China a little bit, we realized that the largest church today is the Church of China, most of it underground. If, if the uh, church is going to be considered significant, I'm not saying it, it is this way, but if it is to be considered significant based on faithfulness in the midst of persecution, the Chinese church is the most significant church in the world today. This is amazing because Hudson Taylor will tell that the reason why he was able to, to go and why he had the courage to continue on into China is because of his friend George Mueller who was supporting him, praying for him, encouraging him to do this. you got George Mueller. If you've ever seen his pictures, if you ever looked up, read his stuff, very plain, ordinary guy, the only thing abnormal about George Mueller is that he was connected to the Word of God. If you are connected to the Word of God, you know him. You understand him. You have intimacy with him. So here's the deal. If, in fact, you are not connected to the Word of God today, Mr. God... You never really get, you know what, you, you might wonder sometimes, how come I have so many doubts? I really don't understand. I don't trust him the way I should. I don't have confidence with him the way I should. Well, how do you want to get that? God's just going to zap you with that? As you are consistently, continuously connected to the word of God, that will grow. That intimacy comes. We know him by his, his, his covenant name, according to his word. According to his word now. Let's, let's go on. And we could look at the rest of these verses, 7 uh, through 11. We could dig deeper, but we're just going to look at verse 7, okay? But connecting with the Word of God is pathway to intimacy. It's also the pathway to transformation. Verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord. You know, I don't know. If I was writing the book... And I wanted a word that everybody would gravitate to. I don't know if I'd call it law. You know, that? Uh, law is kind of punitive. I mean, you want to read the PA penal code thing. It's just kind of, uh, I don't know. I can understand it. And I want to read all of that. The law is something we try to get around, right? We try to find loopholes through. We're not really, really interested in the law. But the word simply is the word Torah, and it means instruction. The instructions of the Lord. If you ever at Christmas time, if you're older, think back where you purchase something for one of your children, very easy assembly or whatever they say on the box, whatever lie they put on the box, and you open it up and you dump it 80 million little pieces and you look and there's no instructions. And you're going, oh no. And your kids, they're expecting you to build this thing because they believe that you're like Superman. And so you're thinking, oh, here we go. So you try to put it together and you, it doesn't work the first time and you kind of swear a little bit. And you put the pieces aside and you try it again and you build it again. You're getting frustrated and Finally, you're done, but it doesn't look like anything on the box, and it doesn't work real well. 
and you're frustrated you're, because you built this thing not according to the directions. A lot of people live their life and try to build their life not based on the directions. And they get frustrated along the way and they're cursing and swearing. And wow, come, it's not looking like it's supposed to look. And it's not working the way it's supposed to work. We know how it's supposed to look. We know how it's supposed to, to, to be. And it's not that way. Because it's been built outside of the instructions. And so it, it says that the law of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, are perfect. Perfect. That word means complete. It means full, thorough. Uh, regardless of what the National Enquirer or National Geographic will tell you, there are no missing books from the Bible. God has looked into your life before he put this thing together. It's not like God's looking today going, Oh, doggone it, man. If I only knew what was really going to be happening in Bill's life, I would have included something in there for him. And Whoa, Susie, man, I didn't see that coming. Boy, if I could just go back and rewrite this thing, I'd make sure I'd address that one. God has taken all of our issues into account. When he put his word together, there it's perfect. It's complete. There's nothing else that w- w- we need here. Uh, you know, the picture is a picture of, and I've used this illustration before. It helps me a lot. Of uh, a house of mirrors. If you've grown up in a house of mirrors, and every mirror was twisted the exact way, so it always made you look like you were five feet wide and two feet tall. I mean, every mirror you looked in, that's how. It, well, then you, you get out of the house of mirrors, and actually, you know, you're you're six six five. And people are going, golly, you ought to go out for basketball. And you're going, <laughs> yeah, because you know yourself. You're saying, they really don't know me. If they really knew me, they would know I was five feet wide and two feet tall. They really don't know me. And so you live your life based on these constraints and these limitations that aren't reality, but it's what you've looked into for your whole day. So it's what you believe about yourself. All of us have grown up in a house of mirrors. Whether something that our parents have told us or siblings some situation that we've been in, circumstances we've been about, that has shaped us, that we believe is true. We live in a house of mirrors with our culture. It's very quick to tell us what sex is about and what money is about, what entertainment's about, what marriage is about, what work is about. And, and we, we listen to these messages and we believe the warp. This is what reality is. Which is a reason. I mean, we've got to be real careful about slamming folk who don't know Christ for living like Life is warped a little bit. That's how they, they, they see it. They don't know. But God's word, it's perfect. It's clean. It's a straight mirror when we look into that. That's when we really understand. Look what it says. It says it revives the soul. The, 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 it refreshes the soul. It restores the soul. It, uh, the picture is your soul is is dead or dying, it's beat up, it's exhausted, and so God comes to it. It's twisted, it's seeing things wrong, and God comes to it and remodels it and strengthens it and makes it new and improved. You know, it, it, it is what, And of course, the, the thought is, the inference is that your soul is broken. That your soul, we don't always see that about, about ourselves. The Word of God is all we need to transform us, to revive our soul. Um, What we need for inner transformation is not more counseling, though I'm not, I think we'd all benefit if we did a little counseling with somebody, but uh, primarily, no. What we need for inner transformation is not a self-help seminar. 
Might not be a bad idea, but you know, no. What we need is not necessarily a self-improvement book, not a bad thing, maybe. But the only thing that's going to transform us is the Word of God. Now, we, we think sometimes, we think, you know, when I was a kid, those Bible stories, oh, they were fun. But see, I'm an adult now. My issues are a little bit bigger, a little more sophisticated, more complex. And so I just need something else to take care of me. But see, there's no pill you can take. There's no group you can join. There's no job you can attain to. There's no thing you can buy. There's no degree you can earn that will fix what only God's Word can fix. That's it. And so if we are... We want to be transformed. We want to be fixed, but we're here. And we're wondering, well, how can I do it? What what else should I try? And God says that the word of God, the law of the Lord, will revive the soul. You are broken in places you don't know you're broken. I know this about about you. I know this about me. And, And it doesn't matter how cocky or arrogant an individual may be. They are much more magnificent than they'd ever thought. They're also more broken than they ever thought. And as you're connected to the Word of God consistently, over a consecutive amount of time, your soul's revived. You grow. Never expect the growth if you're separated. If you don't have time, it's a hit and miss deal. It's once in a blue moon. Most of the time, I'm, I'm not connected. But the promises are right here. But we have to be connected. If you're not connected, we can't expect it. That the, the word, word of God is the only thing that gives us intimacy with Him. It's the only thing that's going to transform us, which is going to be pretty important at the Bema. The Word of God also is, well, let's look at the next deal. The precepts of the Lord, or excuse me, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Word of God, connection to it, is our pathway to wisdom. I love this, when it says that the statutes of the Lord Lord are trustworthy. The picture for trustworthy is the picture of... A parent's arms holding their baby. Now, can you think of anyone who loves that baby more than the parents? Going to protect that. But there's a, that moms. I think almost all moms are probably called the, the mama bear at times because you're going to protect your kid no matter what, no matter what. Doesn't matter if they're wrong. You're going to protect your child. You're going to love your child. You're going to protect your. The picture is, is that the word of God are God's arms to protect us. You ever think about that? That God's word is there to protect us. And if we get out of it, we are wide open game. But as we stay connected, God's word protects us. And I like this. It says that that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, not necessarily making wise the sinful, but the simple. The simple person is is somebody who is just naive. They're just ignorant. They just don't know. They're they're, they're clueless. They're not discerning. They want to be. They just don't have enough data. To make the call. They don't don't understand. They don't know. God's word would make somebody wise. Look over uh, Psalm 119 for just a second. Psalm 119. You know, if you're ever going to... um, Two key chapters in the Bible, on on the Bible. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. It's it's all over the place, but those two are, are... Focused. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Which I think this is a fascinating verse, since the only Bible they got at this point in history is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This guy loves Leviticus. 
He meditates on it it's like all the day. He's like, oh man, buddy, get a life. He says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Now when you think of elder here, think of you just got a job at a Fortune 100 company. I mean, this is one of the companies that control the economics of the world. And somehow you ended up in the wrong building and you're walking down the hallway and passes you as the CEO of this place. He's grayed out a little bit, but you know nobody understands economics or this company like this guy. This guy is... And you're not going to attain to it by reading the Bible, most probably. But what the picture is, is that this guy is thinking his ways, his thoughts... But as you stay plugged into God's word, you're thinking God's ways, God's thoughts. You understand life. You see it in a different way from the most intelligent, the most double PhD folk in the world. Uh, He goes on. He says, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws for for you yourself have taught me. And... Psalm 19, God speaks two ways. He speaks through nature, right? Heavens declare the glory of God. There's no language where its voice is not heard. He speaks through nature. But then he speaks personally to us about himself and his commitment through his word. And it amazes me how many folk want to know God's voice. They want to hear it. They want him to just tell them something or other. And so you say, well, listen, are you, are you, are you connected to his word? And say, well, no, no, I really don't have time for that. You want to hear God's voice, but you're not connected to his word? Well, no, they're kind of hoping for the dream thing or a vision deal or, or some sense or something. They want him to be zapped with knowledge. Well, God will speak, but he's going to speak through his word. If you're not connected, don't expect to hear him. He's going to speak first and foremost that, that direction. He says, uh, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. You know, I have not been tempted to gorge myself, be a glutton on liver for quite some time. And the reason why is because I really don't like liver. Matter of fact, I loathe liver. I can't imagine smelling it makes me sick. I, 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 I loathe liver. Now, if you're talking junk food, it's a different issue. But we, won't, we, won't go down, we won't go down that road. Why, but why do we sin? Because we loathe it? No, no, no. Because we like it. We, that's why we sin. We like it. We think it's going to buy us something. It's going to protect us in some way. We like it. That's why we, we sin. And, and this is so huge. Because as we are disconnected from the word of God, you know what? We're living in the sea of, of the world's culture, the media, our own heart, which, by the way, is broken and wicked and evil. What do you think we're going to have a taste for? But as we stay connected to his word, consecutively, consistently, we begin to look at those other things, things that used to allure us with kind of a liver distaste. You know, it's like, I don't even want that anymore. Now, if, if you're trying by self-discipline to not do those things, you might be able to pull it off to an extent. But you know what? You're going to constantly be driven and gravitated back to that thing. And you might be able to make it through your life constantly fighting. But wouldn't it be a lot nicer? Being connected to his word to the point where you hate 
every evil path. You loathe it. It's not attractive anymore. If you want victory, it's going to tight. It's not a self-help book. You're not to ten ways by whoever on how to get overcome something or other. It may have a degree of, of helpfulness. But by connection to God's word, his word makes wise. It gives discernment. It, it allows us to know how we're supposed to respond uh, to the simple. It will, it will train us. It will, it will teach us. It will show us the way we're supposed to go. Now, let me ask you. Because when I was at Moody, I, I met a lot of kids who came to Moody. They were connected. But you know, that's what their heart was. That was their, their desire was. It, it was. But going to chapel every day, having Bible classes on a regular basis, you know what? That time, just them and God, going to God's word, like George Mueller said, uh, considering my own soul, how does this intersect with me? Eh, they kind of, they didn't have time for that. They just kind of, they separated from that. Oh, ended up in time. What's going to happen is they're going to crash and burn, walk away from Christ. When you stand at the Bema, when your story's done here on earth, what will people say about you here who know you best? What will Jesus say about you at the Bema? What will you say about yourself? We you say, oh, I, I'm, I'm a Bible connection wannabe, Lord. I really want it to be. I mean, that's going to be worth something. And you know what? If you would have gave me 10 more years, I would have gotten into it. I'm telling you, you came back too soon or you called me home too soon, ruined everything. But if you would have given me more time, I would have connected to this planning to. If you're not connected to God's word today, what makes you think you'll be connected to it tomorrow? You know, tomorrow is just today with a different name on it. If, in fact, you are not connected today, it's, we, we lie to ourselves. I think hell helps us a little bit. Tomorrow, when things get better, when things get easier, I'll connect, I'll connect, I'll connect. We'll never do it. Are you connected to God's word right now, today, you? How do you, how do you look with it? This is no longer uh, Newman. This is you. This is your word. It's your Bible. Where are you in, in, in connection with this? How do we draw this so close? Let me, let me, let me tell you, and this is not no inf- infomercial stuff here, right? But what's your plan? Because if you don't have a plan, it's going to go like, wow, that was kind of cool. And then we're going to get to in the car, and we're going to have a battle with our spouse, and before you know it, it's going to be one of these kind of things. So, so what's the plan? Well, let me throw a couple things out at you, okay? Um, first of all, we've got coming up the Bible conference. And I hope we don't do this to be entertained with the Bible. You know, people like this, where it's, it's their hobby to be entertained. But we really would say, I want to be transformed. God, would you teach me your word? This is kind of thing. If we can... Your schedule will, will be able to allow us. We need to be there for that kind of thing. Every Sunday morning, both hours, we have adult Sunday school classes. And maybe if you're just a one-hour person on Sunday morning, that schedules, I, I understand. But would you think about the possibility? You know, I, I need to click in. Now, don't forget the thinking about it. Commit to it. Clicking in to one of the CLGs. If you're a dad, listen, this is real important, because your children will take their view of Scripture from you, Dad. And they know they're not stupid. They know if you're a wannabe connected person. I mean, he talks about it. He'd like to, I think, but he's just too busy. Guess where they're going to go? You know, cats in the cradle thing. That's what they're going to be about. Uh, coming up, starting real soon, men's fraternity. We've got two classes. We've got one on Thursday morning. We've got one Monday, Monday night. So if you can't make one, or maybe make the other. And what it's focusing on is trying to get God's thoughts about both your work 
and your home to see them through God's eyes so you can live out God's word uh, at home. Very, very important. Please, uh, dads, think about that seriously. Uh, Students, let me ask you this. Uh, Are you connected? Because if anybody needs to be connected, students, you do, because, because there are more dollars, I don't know if you knew this, more creativity being spent on trying to disciple you by Madison Avenue and Hollywood than any other age group. And so you cannot afford to not be connected. You might be a strong person. I love that. That's great. But you are no match for hell. But as you are connected to God's word, he's going to make you wise. He's going to give you discernment. Are you connected? Are you connected? Let me, let me throw one more thing out. Very practical. Easy to do. The Psalm 119 challenge. Again, I mentioned two chapters in the Bible. There's Psalm 19, Psalm 119. This is great. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's organized into 22 little sections. I'm not going to tell you all about the organization. It's, kind of, it's really cool, but it's just kind of a negative thing. You probably won't get into it. But there's 22 little sections. This is what I would encourage you to do. Get a Bible, get a pen, get a spiral notebook. And each morning, carve out time where you just look through those eight verses. You know what? Those verses, most, most of them are prayers. You can pray those back to him. Think through, what do these mean? What am I learning about the Bible? And then write it, journal it out. What are you learning about the Bible, about the Word of God? Just eight verses. And for 22 days, you will have gone through the longest chapter in the Bible. The cool thing with that is you are looking at what the Bible says about the Bible. So you can like doubly immerse in yourself in Scripture. And it will transform. And it will make wise. And it will build your intimacy with your Father in a huge, huge way. So let me challenge you. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning? Are you connected? Are you kind of there? You know, you used to kind of be much more, but you're just too busy this day. Or you, you've slid. Maybe you were connected at one point, but you know what? You're just not there anymore. Time to reconnect. So when we see them, and we're judged... You've got to know. It's going to be based on how our life has connected with God's thoughts, God's ways. Uh, that's what the Bema seat ultimately is going to be about.